It's great when you're getting older to still remember, still remember some people. <laughs> but the rest of you, who are you? Are you cold? A little bit. Well, if you want heat, go to hell. <laughs> no way. <laughs> A bit later, we're going to be praying over you, <coughs> officially bringing you into the Order of St. Leonard. And I want to speak today on what is the church. Because the order is not a denomination, because some people freak out at those, they don't know why. Because you can be just as legalistic on your own. It's, it's not a grouping, it is a lifestyle. And it's made up of people from all different denominations who want to live an obedient life to Christ and love God and love each other. And love, do you know, love is an, an exceptional thing. Last time I came here, I mentioned this. Unless you can love God with all your mind, body, soul and spirit, you can't love yourself. We struggle. To love ourselves. I know many Christians who actually don't like themselves, which actually is an abuse of salvation. Because if God spent those years saving us for us not to like ourselves or love ourselves, what has he done? But because of his love, and the greatest commandment was when the man said, how do I inherit eternal life? He said, what is the greatest commandment? You will love God with all your mind, body, soul and spirit. He said, you've said, well, now love yourself. Because that's evidence that you love God. Not thinking more highly of yourself, but that's pride, that's self-gratification. We're on about God's loving us so much that it oozes into our very DNA. I'm loved, so I love. And then if I love God and he loves me, I can love my neighbour quite easily. So I can love the Baptist church up the road that sings the carols. And the Salvation Army that feed the poor. I can actually love the Roman Catholics even though I've been brought up to hate them. You see, we can do that love. And then it gets better then because then you can see the trouble with the world. If we love God enough and we're in relationship with each other and didn't keep falling out with each other all the time, we'd love those actually who despitefully use us. They were always abusing us and borrowing stuff and never bringing it back. We actually love them. That's a bit of a shock, isn't it? That takes a bit of grit, doesn't it, really? You love your neighbour, you love those who despitefully use you, who talk about you behind your back. Good gracious me. Sure, sure. I had a girl come to me once, she said, Pastor Dave, I'm leaving the church, it's not you, I love you. I love you. You're so good to me, but it's others. The things they're doing to me, it's others. And I said to her, I said to her, now I notice you've dressed up to come and see me today, you've got a new, new, new dress, or in Birmingham we call it a frock. <laughs> see, you've got a new frock on. Well, I thought I'd make the effort. I said, that's fine. I said, now, can I make you a promise that I'll pay for the cleaning bill if something goes wrong? And she went, yeah. I said, right. So I stood uh, with my back to her. I said, I'm not being rude. I said, just want to do this. And I said, there's a glass of water here. Can you see the glass of water? I can't. Don't you can see the glass of water. I'm cold. I'm cold. Don't I'm worry. Just... I'll pay for the cleaning. Hello. Shut up! <laughs> Put your wife into submission, will you? <laughs> but I love you. I think. I know. Only because God loves me. Uh, yes. Thank you God. wreck every sermon you do, don't you? Just put it at the back. That's why you like Shut up! <laughs> the name of Jesus, be quiet. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that, wouldn't you? <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to get this sermon finished if you... If you hand up a mouth. That'll do. <laughs> I need you. Come back, come back. I need you. 
I need you. Come on, quickly. Come back. I need you. I, no, you're not. I'm not going to. There's a lovely church up the road that's been asking about you. I love you I shouldn't have picked him. So I started drinking the water. I said, anything happened yet? No. And she said, no. I said, hang on. Anything happened yet? No. I said, you said, you know what the problem is? I said, I've been stabbed in the back so many times by Christians, the blood and water should have come all over you by now. There's holes in my back. But I've learned to forgive and you haven't. Because they that have forgiven much, forgive much. And those that have been loved much, love much. Yeah. And when we come together as a group, we learn to love that which is not normally attractive. And to care for that which we don't normally care for because it's not us. And as an order, we are part of the only order in the country that's part of churches together. And they looked at us and they evaluated us for a year. And they looked at anybody from all denominations as long as they love Christ and adhere to the creed, can join. They turned around and said, you're spirit-filled, aren't you? And we said, how did you know that? They said, he chose. So they've bunged us in the spirit-filled group. <laughs> and our job is to make sure that things don't get out of control and that we don't slip down into humanism. So what is the church and why should I belong to one? And should I belong to one? And aren't I as a Christian part of the church? No. You get saved in the kingdom and then you have to trans transition into the church. The church and the kingdom are two different things. I want to bring you through that at the moment, okay? It says in Matthew 16, verse 18, and a lot of people argue about this scripture, but it is as it says. Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. Say my church. And the gates of Hades, of death, of hell, the powers of hell will not overcome it or conquer it, or prevail it, or overpower it, or withstand it. So Jesus is saying to Peter, I'm giving you two mandates, two completely different mandates, but they're parallel. They're railway lines. They work together. They're not against each other, but they are consistently different. First of all, he said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. No, he wasn't. He built it on himself. No, he didn't. Read the scriptures. I will build my church on you. The Bible says we're built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. He is the, he is the chief cornerstone. Yeah. He holds everything together and it's his church. So he belongs, it belongs to him. He's the cornerstone, but it's built on us. But you like it or not, renewal was built on me. Mm. That's the problem is that when I step down, everybody thinks, do we want to follow the next guy or the next guy? Or the next? This is the problem with churches. It was built on the vision God gave me. That's Salvation Army on Booth. Methodist on Wesley, yeah. Baptist on Spurgeon, yeah. Anglicans on Riley and, and all the others because they're built on the vision God gives men or women, Mother Teresa. It's on the vision God gives the people that they build on. But the trouble is if it's the person's church, when they go, the church goes. When they foul up, they foul up. I retired two and a half years ago from renewal Oh, Pastor, that is not the same. Thank God it isn't because you'd be getting all my old, 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 old age faults. If the church fails because I retired, it was my church. But it is built on the vision of men and of women. 
So the church is built on those. So he said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. You say, how is that true? Because who started the church on the day of Pentecost? Mark, Luke, John, Peter. He was the first pastor. He stood up and he preached in a way nobody had ever known before. They shouted out in the middle of the service, what must I do to be saved? 3,000 were saved. The church was born on that day under Peter. And they were added every day to the church, such as were being saved. And they met every day in the temple cloisters, and they went from house to house, breaking bread, and continuing in the apostles' doctrine, which shows they were not individual, now they were corporate. The church is not individual, it's individuals making up a corporate. And I want to explain that to you a bit more fully today as we go on. So at the time when the Christian faith is under pressure, the question is being asked, what is my relationship with church? What is church? Do I need to belong to a group of believers? Or am I sanctified because I'm in Christ? Now the concept of church is a New Testament concept. In the Old Testament, and I think you've got to go to the Old Testament to see what the church is. The Old Testament was tabernacle and temple. It was all about God's glory. It was showing the people who God was so that they would realise what they went. So everything in the tabernacle was symbolic of God. All the drapings, all the colours all the instruments they used, the priesthood, every part of it symbolised who God was. Today we have stained glass windows that shows the people who couldn't read and write who God was. <coughs> stained glass windows and images in the Anglican and Catholic Church went to bow down to is to show people who couldn't read and write what, what they were talking about. They were illiterate. So don't become judgmental too much until you know history. And so they, everything was symbolic. And to be forgiven from their sin, they had to come according to their, their wealth, they'd bring a dove or they'd bring a, a lamb. And what would happen was they'd bring it to the process. They couldn't go into the main temple. They could only go into the outer cloisters because it, as it went deeper and deeper, it got more holy. It revealed the beauty of God. And then you get the veil. Then the, the high priest only went in there once a year and he used to wash and put the blood on his thumb and his bone with his ear and his big toe. And he'd have all the paraphernalia on him and the, and the bonnet and have all the ephod and have all the breastplate and every part of it talked about Christ every part of it talked about the holiness of God and they go in there was the mercy seat and the two angels with their wings tipping each other and the law was in there and he'd sprinkled hyssop and he'd sprinkled blood on it once a year for the redemption of the people all that was there and if you walked in there you died holy of holies and in the tabernacle the people used to stand at their tents and see the glory shining over it it was to reveal the br brilliance of God. Yeah. Now I don't think we sometimes realise as Christians when we get a bit flippant, mm. all that was revealing who Christ would be. Mm. All those thousands and thousands of sheep being slaughtered were saying it takes a thousand sheep to equal one man. Because the fullness of all those slaughters will be in one man who laid his life down as the Lamb of God. That's how powerful Jesus was. Yes, amen. True. Some saw the man, but others saw the man Christ Jesus, Christ, the anointed one, Lord, Jehovah. He Jesus, he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. My goodness. Who do men say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist, come back. Because the reincarnation was a teaching then. <coughs> Some believe that you're <coughs> a prophet. 
Okay, Peter, <clears throat> if I'm going to build my church on you, I need a good answer. Who am I? You are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the son of the living God. <clears throat> you didn't get that from a textbook, Peter. You're thick as two planks. You haven't been to theological college. Didn't get a degree. My father in heaven revealed that to you. And so, Peter, now we're changing the rules. I'm going to give you two, two mandates. I'm going to build the church on you, Peter, because that's what the people need to know. I am the son of the living God. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm going to build the church on that doctrine. And by the way, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom as well. Amen. Amen. Are you still with me this morning? Yeah. A bit different this morning, isn't it? Amen. So the concept of the church is seen in the New Testament, but the Old Testament, we see the physical structure dwelt by his presence. The tabernacle and the temple reflected the personality and the function of God, his holiness, his redemptive process. And it showed how far man was from him. Man could not get to him until God decided one day, we celebrate it as the, as the first advent, when he decided, if you can't get to me, I'll get to you. Yes, amen. Amen. Lovely, isn't it? Hallelujah. Isn't that lovely? Yes. You'll call his name Emmanuel. Yes. God is now with you. Amen. Oh, amen. Baba. No wonder they put me in the spirit field section. <laughs> so when you look at the vast amount of sacrifices, ceremonies, priests, high priests, the coverings in the tabernacle, the splendor of the temple. You know, the temple was so splendid. And they covered it without any mortgage. It was so splendid that the Queen of Sheba, who was a godless woman, she visited Solomon. And he put a feast on for her. And all the waiters wore white gloves. And they served the drinks out of gold chalices. And she was blown away. A non-Christian, in today's terms, gave a love gift to the church. And I worked it out. I went through all the currency she gave and I worked out in modern money. She wrote a cheque out for £8 million. He didn't know what to do with it. Here we are, she said. Put that to your building fund. A non-Christian buying into the splendor of what she saw. There's a secret there when they see the splendor of Christ. Even the world will give. Amen. And so he got some of the rarest wood and made them the stairs up to the altar. Eight million pounds she gave him. There we are, she said. I'm going to buy into this. And the world will buy into anything that shows the glory of God. That's true. Amen. Jesus Christ now becomes the visible reflection of all that was contained in these two habitations. In Christ was the tabernacle and the temple. When he walked along, he was the temple made flesh dwelling amongst men. Amen. And when the men couldn't get into the temple, Christ could get into them. Yeah. Whoa, man, it gets me so excited. In fact, if you tape this, I might listen to it when I get home. Amen. Christ became the visible reflection of all that was contained in these two habitations. Now as the holy place was found in Christ, the church was a collective of people joined together in Christ. So the church are people who are in Christ. The holy place became the people, not the place. This isn't the church. No, no. Isn't it funny, you see, when I, when I founded Renewal, I would not call it Renewal Church. I call it Renewal Christian Centre because that's the building. 
We are the church. Are when you finish here in, in, in a short time, it'll become a hotel again. That's right. We are the church. Yeah. People say, well, I've bought a church. You can't buy people. No. <laughs> they should say we've built a building where the church meets. Yeah. What we've yeah. done is we've gone back to the Old Testament and we've made the building the temple again. See, if you decided not to come next week, there wouldn't be a church. True. Very true. People say, well, we, we get nobody to our church now, so we're selling it. Well, of course, the church isn't coming to the building. The building is not the church. Right. Treat it with respect and treat it with, with, with cleanliness. Mm. Don't abuse it. Don't say, because it's not the church, we're just going to throw stuff on the floor and leave. No, no, treat it with respect because yeah. God's presence can be yeah. in a building. Amen. People say, God doesn't dwell in building made with hands. They don't, they don't quote that wrong. Every building absorbs the presence of who's in it. Amen. And when the church is in a building, the building has a presence of yeah. God in it even when you're not there. True. When evil people are in a building, evil's there. I go into these buildings and go, oh my God, who's been in this place? It's evil. Mm. In his presence. Yes. Amen. And we see that in the showbread. That might be for another occasion. The showbread actually contained his presence. Mm. So when we look at that vast amount, so Christ became the visible reflection. Church is only church when we gather together. Yes, true. A biblical church is not building that we go to, it's the people we meet with. Yes. No, I adore cathedrals. But it's glory, however, must be careful not to rebuild the temple again. As I said, I walked in Civvy Street, I got me a leather coat on and jeans and boots, and I walked into a cathedral because I just love cathedrals because it took four or five hundred years to build them. We wouldn't do it today, people would leave after two weeks. That's true. Very true. And they gave it to generation to generation, yeah. son to son, son to son. And, and the, until Lincoln, Lincoln Cathedral was built, no architect had ever seen his cathedral built. They designed it and died in faith, never seeing it built. Some of them took four, eight hundred years to build. But I went in this cathedral and I walked into the holy place. And a, I'm not mocking. A priest went, stop! Walk backwards! So my God, it's a minefield. <laughs> Bit more. Bit more. You can't go there, he said. Only the priest can go there. Oh. Well, I always carry me warrant card with me. So I went, there we are. That's it. Oh, I'm sorry, Reverend. You can go up there. <laughs> <coughs> Never get to that. We can now go boldly into the Holy of Holies. I'm not mocking it. <clears throat> I'm just saying we mustn't go back onto law. No. Mustn't go back into legalism. No. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. Yes, I will enter his courts with praise. Yes, I will say this is the day the Lord has made. I will yes. rejoice. Yes. For he has made me glad. Yes. They became the ecclesia that called out, saved, plucked out, yes. and commanded to go out. Go out his kingdom. Yes. Come in his church. Amen. The church was collective. If it hadn't been collective... God would not have put officers in the church. They right. <laughs> so say, well, I'm a Christian, it's just God and myself. That's a dangerous thing because who disciplines you? God, then you're in big trouble. Because yeah. <laughs> God's put eldership and leadership in the church as an umbrella, yeah. as the first line of authority and of judgment and of discipline so he doesn't have to do it because if God does it, you're in big trouble. Mm. I'd rather an elder tell me I'm going wrong rather than God. Yeah. But the elder is responsible to God for telling me that. So he put elders in the church which collectively help us on our spiritual walk and then he put deacons in the church which help us socially, feed us, make sure that there's a toy offering for the kids. Mm. 
So build, God builds structure. So if you don't belong to that, how can God work it? You know, the greatest punishment you can be given in the Christian life is to be put out of church. Yeah. It says this, that if you try to discipline somebody and they won't accept discipline, then put them out of the church, especially for sexual immorality. Mm. Put them out. How can you be put out if you were never in? Yeah, true. So if you don't belong in, you can never be put out. Mm. Being put in is protective. Being put out is to leave you. And actually, it's not just so God can do with you. He said the devil will get you then. And maybe he will drive you back into church. Mm. That's frightening language, folks. Yeah, yeah. So you can sit there and get as huffy and puffy as you like because you've had a bad experience. I'm not going to join the rock. I'm not going to belong to a church. Well, you're in a danger because the devil's just waiting to pick you off. Yeah. Look at nature. Look at any herd where an animal goes away from the herd and they're picked off by the lions. Mm. The safest place True. in every herd is in the middle. Yeah. That's the Lord of nature. Mm. It's the Lord of spiritual nature. Yeah. So if you're saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm, th- I'm coming to the rock, but I don't, I don't belong to a church, I'm part of God's church. That is a holy lie. Mm. Now get offended with me because I'm not here every week. <laughs> but if you're here every week, I'd say the same to you because I love you. That's a lie. Mm. Neglect not the assembling of yourselves together, which has become the custom yeah. of some of you, yeah. Yeah. says the apostle. Many in the last days have just left the faith, giving heed to seducing doctrines of demons. Yeah. No longer meet with us. You know, as Christians in this nation, we get offended too soon. I go to parts of the world where people are being slaughtered for their faith at the moment. Yes. And some of us, you know, well, they didn't speak to me this week, and I don't know what's gone wrong with them. I don't think they like me anymore. They walked straight past me. Did they? They really did, yes. In fact, I'm thinking God's telling me this isn't the place for me. <laughs> They walk straight past you. Do they really? Yeah. That's tough, isn't it? Mm. That's hard in life if somebody walks straight past you. Have you ever thought of speaking to them? It's not my place to speak to them. <laughs> it's their job to speak to me. Oh, I see. I mean, when we were the heightest at Renewal, we had 2,000 there, and our people say, so you didn't notice I wasn't there yesterday then? <laughs> I said, well, actually, no. I didn't even know you joined. <laughs> We're funny people, aren't we? But we're not comedians. The church was a collective. Elders, deacons, then apostles and evangelists and prophets and pastor teachers placed in the church for the expansion of the church, for its growth. Now the kingdom feeds the church. The kingdom is go out, preach the gospel out there. Living it every day in our jobs, in our homes, in our communities, laying hands on the sick, seeing them recover, casting out demons, speaking in tongues. That's kingdom. That's kingdom. That's kingdom. And when people get born again, we say, come and be part of the church because the church is going to be the bride of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Got five, five funerals on the go at the moment. My main ministry at the moment is to the dying and the dead, and I say that sensibly. Also, as a chaplain, that's my job. I do, I do end of life. But, you know, we, we say to comfort each other, and I said this in one of my writings the other day, well, she's with, she's, he's with, he's with mom now. And we say this as Christians, don't we? Dad's with mom now, mom's with dad now, and they're all together now, and of course they're not. They're not. Because there's no marriage in heaven. You made a vow when you got married on earth, till death us do part, and you've had a great life here, and it's symbolic of, of, the, of the relationship you will have in eternity. As much as we love our wife and love her husband, 
I've, I've secured a plot in Roxall for my, for my burial when I die, for Molly and myself. We will be buried together and that will be a symbol of the end of our life yeah, together. Right. Our bodies which were together, one flesh, will be buried together. Mm. But when we go into glory, I'll be part of the yeah. bride of Christ yeah. and so will my sure. wife be. There will sure. be no earthly relationships in heaven. Right. There will be a beautiful sense that Amen. collectively Amen. we will become the bride of Christ yeah. and he will adore yeah. and he will love yeah. and we will see him and we yeah. will see no other and we'll look at his face mm. and we'll fall in love with him. Yes. And as much as I love Molly, that will fail fade into insignificance. Yeah, true, true. But because we love our mum and dad, we say they're together now. Mm. But if they're Christians, they're together in paradise, but they're not married anymore. Because no. Jesus said, actually said no. to them when they asked him that question, he said, do you not know the scriptures? There's no marriage in heaven. No, no. This woman uh, died and she had no baby and she was given to the next brother and the next brother and the next brother. Seven brothers. He said, you're ignorant of the scriptures. There is no marriage in heaven. Mm. Mr. Mormon, there is no marriage in heaven. LDS, there is no marriage in heaven. No. We are married to Christ. Yes, amen. Now, don't let that upset you because if mum's a Christian, dad's a Christian, they're in the same place looking yeah. at the same Christ. Yeah. Do they know each other? I don't know. Does it matter? Mm-hmm. To know him, whom to know his life eternal, that's the main thing. Yeah, true. That I may know him amen. and the power of his resurrection. Be conformed into his likeness. Oh, my God, I'm almost to the point of getting happy. <laughs> Can you take a bit, just a bit more? Anne has been with me long enough to know that when we were at our height of blessing, we had a foundation course called Foundations of Faith, which ran for 16 weeks. And you couldn't join the church as an established Christian or a brand new Christian unless you'd been on the course. Mm. In those 16 weeks, we taught you the foundations of your faith from everything. Sanctification, justification, blood atonement, heaven, hell, mercy seat, beamer seat, Mm. angels, demons... The whole lot. And all our leaders came from new Christians who went through that. Because the church's job is to put foundation in you. Yeah, true. Very true. It's to put doctrine into you. In my younger days as an evangelist, I said, we don't need doctrine. What a stupid fool I was. (laughs) We just need the word. Well, that is doctrine, you big pimple head. (laughs) There's lots of tapes I'd like to burn. Of course we need doctrine. The church was being so set apart and ripped apart that bishops came together at Nicene in 325. And these men, when you read the history, came in blind, had been blinded for their faith, broken legs where they'd been beaten up with their faith, and they would not leave until they'd got a doctrine that the church could believe universally. And it's lasted from 325, and I believe in it today. Foundation of the church. I did a 30-week series on it in the church. It's vital for us to be in a church that knows the doctrine of God. It produced many quality leaders. Mm. Our church only grew because of that. There's so many challenges to biblical authenticity today, it's vital that we learn to articulate our beliefs. Remember, the Pentecostal believers continued in the apostles' doctrine every day. Secondly, the keys of the kingdom ran parallel with the church that they may Reach the people. Now I've got much more to say. I'm not going to say it. I've said enough. I'm going to read you the creed. When I did the series, we gave bookmarkers out with the Apostles' Creed, which is the baptismal creed, and the Nicene Creed, and there's the Athenian Creed, which is the Catholic one mainly. But this is what we believe when you come together. I believe in God. Amen. 
Amen. He's the Father Almighty. Yes. He's the creator of heaven and earth. Amen. I believe in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Amen. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He descended to the dead. But on the third day, uh-huh, he rose again. Amen. He ascended into heaven. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. There is a judgment, ladies and gentlemen, still there in the Bible, yeah. not preached today. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Catholic Church. That's not Roman. That's right. No. Not Greek. No. It means universal. That's right. One church. Yeah. Not denominationally... No biased no. so I know some people won't say because they're Protestant they can't say Catholic brother you can does not mean Roman does not mean Protestant means universal Amen. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints yes. the resurrection of the body I don't know how long I'm going to be down there, but when I come up, it'll be better than when I went in. <laughs> and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. I'm going to hand over in a moment and we're going to have communion. But I'll tell you the wonderful symbolic thing of this communion. When you go back to the tabernacle, and this, this changed me completely, and I hope you understand what I'm going to say. Being a Pentecostal by birth, We didn't see any form of ceremonial, or did we, in the communion. We're not all this, we're not the Eucharist, we don't dress up, we don't do the sign of the cross, we don't hold it in the air, we don't do any of that. No, no, we're Pentecostal. But no Christian was allowed into the communion service, it was only for Christians. And we'd stand round the front, round the little table, and all the elders would stand there quietly, and they'd have a little cloth over it. And we pray that God's presence would be there. That's a dangerous prayer for people who don't believe in ceremonialism. <laughs> then we'd open it up and then we'd give the little glasses out while the organ was playing or the piano was playing and people were mumbling under their breath every week. But it was Pentecostal. Hilda would give a message in tongues and Gladys would and Naomi would and Fred would interpret every week. And when one went on holiday, God went on holiday. <laughs> And when he come back, he looked better <laughs> because the messages were stronger. <laughs> That's what we did every week. And then we knocked the Anglicans because they stood there praying, lifting it. And then I read the tabernacle and it changed my life. Do you know the Bible says they took the showbread and they laid it in his presence yeah. for seven days. And after that, nobody could have it. They couldn't throw it away because it had been in his presence. Mm. So only the priest could eat it. And I suddenly realised bread absorbs presence. If you put your bread by smoke, it tastes of smoke, but it's not smoke. But it tastes of it. If when you're baking it, you expose it to perfume, it tastes of perfume, but it's not perfume, but it absorbs the presence. And I suddenly realised that when I take this bread and this cup, it's not just symbolic, it's his presence. Amen. Yes. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Yeah. There is life everlasting. Amen. 
And I suddenly realised that maybe I shouldn't knock my brother in the Anglican church as much as I used to. And I shouldn't be so, so sarcastic about the Pentecostal church where I came from. I should actually start again and I should say, this is the presence of God. Amen. That's why the Bible says, if you do it in an unworthy manner, some of you are sick and some prematurely die. Why would that happen if it wasn't more than just symbolic? You don't die because you have an ice cream because it's symbolic of a summer's day. You don't die because you have Christmas pudding because it's symbolic of Christmas. But you can be sick and die in an unworthy manner. So let a man and a woman examine themselves. We never teach this now. No, no. It's his presence. Yes. And as only the priest could eat it, only we can eat it. Mm. That's not segregation. That's sanctification. Mm. And so as Angus comes in a moment now and takes you, I wonder if you'd like to look at your communion in a fresh way mm. and say, today, not only has he been here by his Holy Spirit, not only has he been in the worship and hopefully in the Word, he's going to be in the breaking of bread. Amen. So some of you who come from the Anglican Church, welcome. Those from the Catholic Church and the Methodist Church, welcome. Those who have come from a Eucharistic background, you are welcome. Amen. Those who are raving Pentecostal, speaking tongues under your breath while you take it. There's no problem. I want to thank you for having me today because at my age it's good to be anywhere. It really is great. Let me just pray before I hand back.